Yeah. Okay, so this is uh, impressions, I guess. Is that what we're calling ourselves? Well, yeah, for now. (laughs) (laughs) Impressions until we got something real. Until until we decided that we can't come up with anything else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Impression. Our impression of Warhammer. That's what this is about. for those of you who don't know, which is probably nobody listening to this, um, yeah. War- <laughs> Warhammer is a game by CA, and in conjunction with Games Workshop, do they work on it? I don't. I don't even know. Yeah, they do. A creative Assembly. They have like a, a relationship with Games Workshop. Okay. Yeah. It's actually really interesting because um, Games Workshop, like the way the the miniature industry works, as far as I understand it, it's that if your designs are revealed, uh, then you have to uh, launch, like you have to launch the news on the day. Like you, there's no leaks. Like if, if, if someone leak a model design, uh, then Games Workshop has to be super fast and immediate to go like, and then we are making an announcement today because otherwise <laughs> you can actually steal the designs. Like they won't be copyright protected. That's interesting. Yeah, so uh, you remember the whole uh, uh, Gotrek thing? That, no, uh, I, didn't, the, I didn't know the, about that. Oh no, okay. So, so CA they basically um, they ha- they released a Gotrek as like this hero you can kind of like hire in in the in the Warhammer Two campaign, right? Okay. Yeah, I know. I know about him, but yeah. Yeah, they they when they released him, it like. It was made an announcement around the same time, I think it was the same day even maybe, where they announced a new model for Gotrek uh, in uh, Age of Sigmar and a novel, which means that Creative Assembly were privy to some pretty internal information there. Sure. And that makes sense to me. Like, that's pretty big because Against Workshop is not a small company. Like it's a, It seems like it is because they're kind of like relatable nerds, but... It's it's literally a billion dollar company. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and so, someone recently summed up their strategy. Uh, I saw one of the forums where they were talking about how um, Games Workshop releases enormous amounts of licensing deals. Like they license to a whole bunch of different people to try to instead of, instead of they want to be a AAA gaming company. Well, CA does, I guess. But and, and Games Workshop wants to be affiliated with a AAA gaming company. But well, CA is a triple A gaming company. They've been they've been very big and well known for like two decades. That's three true. decades. Yeah, anyway. So so like Blizzard big though, I think is what they're going yeah, for. Yeah, Blizzard big is not even triple A. They're like they have like ten A's. They're like Blizzard is not even just a big game company. It's literally the biggest game producer in the world. Well yeah, Blizzard has their own letter, now they're just a B. Yeah. So they're they're a single B company. Yeah. In this case, B is actually higher than A. Yeah, but this is like golf. You're you're going, you're descending. Yeah, but yeah, we we, we digress. Uh, the whole thing is <laughs> it's really interesting how Games Workshop uh, is willing to have that much trust in Creative Assembly that they actually allow them to be privy to this kind of release information. Well, and and they, they CA is one of the few because you know they're, they're so. They have this. They have this strategy where they're trying to get a whole bunch of different people licensed, so they can produce a whole bunch of different products and a whole bunch of different markets to raise awareness of the franchise. And one of the things that CA was allowed to do was create new things for the lore that become canon, like uh, Celestra. Like Celestra is not in the lore. Yeah, no, she's not tabletop she's, she's, she's or not. A, she's a unique creation. Yeah. So most most of the licensees aren't allowed to do that either, which is cool. No, but it's it like Creative Assembly has earned that privilege though, because thanks to Warhammer One, which uh, was so popular, it like it helped get CA out of a mire, because they were kind of struggling economically for a while there. Yeah, uh, like they have made more money on the Warhammer series than they've made on like almost all of their games combined. It's ridiculous, but they also promoted uh, the like Warhammer Fantasy franchise. Tremendously, because that franchise was dead. Like a lot of people, wins and bitch about the end times, but the, the like the end times had to happen. Like the fantasy franchise was dead. Yeah, a lot of people liked it, but they liked it for the lore. No one bought models. No one played. First of all, it was too expensive. It was a pain in the ass. It was it, it was 
like they, they made no money from it. They were losing money on it. Okay. And and uh, Age of Sigmar makes like it, it's just thirty six times more popular than Warhammer Fantasy was in its prime. It's ridiculous. That is that is pretty crazy. Yeah, but I think it has a lot to do with it being closer to 40k's rules. It's more modernized. It's not as expensive to get into. It's easier to grasp. Uh, but yeah, like uh, the thing is, Warhammer Fantasy was dead and buried like before they actually buried it, before they killed it. But CA brought back the love for it, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been such a big thing that I have no doubt that the whole uh, thing that Games Workshop is doing now, where they're kind of resurrecting the old world in the same sense that it's, it's going to be like a, uh, uh, like, a, like a, is it prologue? A prequel, prequel. It's going to be like a prequel to Age of Sigmar in the same sense that the Horus Heresy is a prequel to Warhammer 40k. So it's coming back now. And it's going to be like a, a new game. And I, I'm, I'm sure that that is... 100% thanks to the efforts of CA, which I also think is why uh, Games Workshop uh, has fallen in love with them so much that they're allowing them to do whatever the hell they want in their privacy and inside information and all sorts of stuff. Huh. Oh, that's cool. I, di- I didn't know most of that. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's fascinating. Like most people, I got into it just through Total War. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> I didn't know about <laughs> it at all until a friend <laughs> Played Total War, told me, "Oh, there's a Warhammer thing coming out. You might like that." Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by how many. I, I'm amazed by how many hours you have in the Total War franchise. It's like double what I have, and I have a. Yeah, lot. I got like I'm closing in on three thousand hours, I think, on That's the two crazy. games combined. I I I played that game more than I played almost any other game. Maybe even more than played World of Warcraft, and I played that since I was a kid, but on and off, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I remember. I remember looking up. <laughs> I remember loading World of Warcraft and lo- looking at my uh, playtime. Seems I like cash playtime, and and it was months. You know, they they tell you like how many months and days and things, and it was very depressing. It's like I could have learned languages, I could have done all sorts of things, but that's not what it's about. It's just about having fun. So there's that. <laughs> it's important to tell you tell yourself after the fact. Well, you have to tell yourself yeah. that after the fact. I didn't waste my life because technically <laughs> I did have fun. <laughs> well, and in 200 years, the screaming void will have absorbed our souls anyway, and, and nobody will remember us. So it doesn't really matter. That's <laughs> no, God, we're getting into depressing existential existential crisis. <laughs> well, I mean, it does make me feel better about having a gin and tonic in the, for breakfast, you know. So. <laughs> So uh, I didn't actually do that. No, actually, I did. <laughs> oh no! But I had water oh, no. afterwards, so it's okay. Just remember, Wait, you're, you're the one who told me that boy. any amount of alcohol is like poison, right? Like the yes. yeah, you you told me like there's the whole myth about wine being good for your heart. It's not actually the wine doing that; it's other stuff. Yeah. So yeah. So the well, the way that works is so. They had, they had some people that have been studying it pretty closely on NPR, and they were saying, basically, most of the studies that have led up to this point have been flawed, and it's a correlation-causation dealio where, you know, they, they looked at how much people drank, and you either have people who abstain entirely, people who drink moderate amounts, and then people who drink sort of excessively to just, like, straight-up alcoholism, and they found that people who drank, you know, like one to two glasses of, of wine a day were the healthiest. But the problem was that most, that almost every study universally didn't account for was that wealthy people tend to have a glass of red wine at the end of the day. They'll have a, wine, a glass of wine at dinner. And wealthy people have better health care. They, they tend to take better care of themselves. They tend to be more educated. And well, so the poor people tend to have a bottle of uh, absinthe in the morning instead. <laughs> right, right. You know, you fill up the iron at the hotel that you you slave away at for sixty hours a week, <laughs> and you you, you nab a sip of with the mini bar. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. What you know, Frank doesn't know it doesn't hurt him. Yeah, I was thinking about that earlier when I was mixing my drink, and I was like, just oh, fuck him for telling me that. <laughs> But I, I like to, I like to think the gin and tonics are healthy. I really like to think the GNTs are healthy, 
because they look like water and they taste like heaven. <laughs> well, riddle me this. Then why is the, the it, carbon monoxide has no smell and you can't see it. It's clear. It should be just like air. I don't see the connection. <laughs> I'm just throwing all sorts of benefit of the doubt to you. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Well, you know, if we can ask the nutritionist that is gin and tonics for breakfast. Are they are they healthy? <laughs> Doesn't carbon monoxide have a smell? Carbon monoxide? I don't think carbon monoxide has a smell. The tunnels are full of that, and they smell awful. Well, let's find out because we can do that sort of thing. Does carbon monoxide smell? Nope, yeah, it has Jamie, no smell. Jamie, pull that up. <laughs> no, no smell, no taste, no sound. No sound. What kind I of mean, gas makes a sound? I mean, my farts make a sound. Yeah, but that's not the farts themselves. That's that's your ass. That's true. Yeah, if I just if you just opened your ass like with a hand on each cheek, like really pull them apart and just let out a fart, I, I wouldn't <laughs> hear it. I mean, I would be shocked and appalled, but I wouldn't hear it. Yeah. So you're, so you're telling me when I, when I blow up a balloon, don't tie it, and then I squeeze it out and blow it in someone's ear, and all my spittle's going. You can't do that with COVID now, but that's No, I mean, that's so. one, of, one, of the, one of the, like, the great activities that have been killed by this virus. Yeah, board meetings must be so boring now. It's yeah. the balloons. Um, okay, so we're about, like, 25 minutes in, and we haven't <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Warhammer. mentioned Warhammer. <laughs> Are we, are we going to do like a men's health thing? Eventually. Another, another time. Maybe we're doing that now instead. We're, we're drifting. We're more moving yeah. in that direction. Yeah, we are the expert this time. We're not, we're not inviting <laughs> any fucking expert. Uh, we've decided that carbon monoxide doesn't make sounds and gin and tonics are healthy. And you agreed with me on that. So let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I won't fight it either. Because uh, um, I, I would like to start being healthy if that's the case. Yeah. Okay. So yesterday, uh, we yesterday, were playing a game head to head in uh, Warhammer Two. I was playing the vampire counts, and Jeremy was playing the dwarfs. Yes. And uh, Jeremy is a very sneaky boy. He's a very <laughs> sneaky boy. <laughs> so when you play yeah. Skaven a lot, you play the dwarves like Skaven. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you're basically you're basically playing uh, dwarfs like tiny armored Skaven. <laughs> they're about the same size. I mean, yeah. they're a little bigger, but they're just beefier. I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's like, it's like when you play head to head, which I have actually never done before. <laughs> <laughs> but when playing head to head, right? You're expecting to like you take over the enemy soldiers. They're in the fights, and you you just fuck each other over. You know, it just makes it impossible to do anything. Any any fight against the AI that you normally have to like. Okay, he has better units, but I can outsmart him. That's not happening. That's not happening in head-to-head. -head. Uh, so, like any head-to-head -head match, we were just we were just like fucking each other over and auto resolving as much as humanly possible, right? Or dwarvenly possible. Heaven forbid somebody else got a hold of like black knights for any reason. Yeah, shitty <laughs> little. Uh, and then like it just is. Uh, I'm I'm still stunned by that little power move you made. <laughs> so like I'm playing super conservatively, right? I'm I'm not even taking Western Sylvania. I'm like immediately after taking uh, Essen and Waldenhof, Essen and Waldenhof. I'm just like, uh, okay, Zelig, uh, it's fine. You can keep the castle. Just peace, peace, bro. You know, because I don't want to. I don't want to deal. You, you with signed a you signed a peace treaty with Templehof. Yeah, I did. I was just. Oh, that's awesome. Ass. <laughs> I immediately just licked his ass, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just like he's just my buddy now, you know. I love but it. I'm not taking Templehof, so I'm struggling economically. But I'm like, okay, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, and he's taking Mount Gunbad, uh, which is just it, it's just a gold mine. It's a literal gold mine. It has gold in it. So and his capital is full of diamonds. So you're just you're just sitting there on a pile of coins, and I'm like, mm, uh, do, I, do I go defensive? Do I? Do I deal with the humans now or do I expect him to come to me? So I'm sitting doing nothing forever. And then I just think, okay, wait, you know, he, the Grump Peak is owned by the Greenskins. He has to get through that. That's my alarm bell. 
I'm I'm good. I'm good. Okay, let's go. Let's go deal deal with the Sterling. Okay, let's take out Needling now. I head to uh, Fort Obersteyer, you know. Uh, I'm like, okay, okay. Next turn, I'm gonna take out Needling. Uh, it's your turn, and what the fuck? Suddenly, Grom Brindle is running out of the shadows of Sufbar and sieging Drakenhof. <laughs> just sieging me out of nowhere. I have no armies there, and I'm just sitting there with my finger in my ass, going like, "What the fuck is happening?" You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just, I'm stunned. I'm absolutely stunned. I'm like, "Oh God, the campaign is over. He killed me. He killed me on turn 22." <laughs> Luckily, for me, Jeremy's terrible. <laughs> God, wow. awful. Oh, I, I've, I've been talking. You know, t- tell me about the siege from your perspective. Okay, siege from my perspective is if you're a Skaven player, you play dwarves like Skaven. And you send, you send your front line, which, you know, by all accounts. You, you, so, my favorite part of all this was when I showed up and I started trying to declare war on you, and I realized I needed to do something else real quick macro sense like go do go through some menus before i declared war on you and you go oh he's trying to make a peace treaty with me well that's odd i'm like it is odd because i'm not trying to make peace so (laughs) 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 then i declare war on you and yeah so the battle did not go well um i mean that huge disparity in playtime i mean it, it shows when we're on the battlefield because even that 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 under city fight that we did not the under city the um subterranean battle we did yeah that was still much closer than it should have been yeah i should never have made it close to you i should have been wiped out in the street before you i didn't have enough range to really destroy you before you got to me like i knew i wouldn't keep i knew my grudge throwers wouldn't stay on the battlefield which is why i put them near the edge of the battle so they could just leave without getting destroyed completely but the <laughs> I I really got to a point where I was like, am I gonna lose this? Did I really screw up again? So yeah, no, I'm not I'm not as skilled in battle. And like I show up on the battlefield and you know you do all the my deployment was probably fine. I, I put it shoved everything to the side, immediately took out your towers. But for some reason, I didn't. I I rushed your walls. I sent my entire melee <laughs> straight at your walls, and I was like, "Well, I'll just like beat the shit out of them." Like I knew you had knights, like yeah. like you had knights. You had you had vargeists, and the and but the thing was, I thought I could kill the vargeists before they landed, and I couldn't. And then my second tactical error was, I assumed that you would once your vargeists were dead you would keep your knights inside and wait for me when I was inside. And I was, I was just originally, I was intending to like pull back all my dudes to the center and then just ram you with horses inside the city when you came at me, right? That's what I expected you to do. I, I really honestly thought you were going to like hammer and vanville me once I was inside because I, I figured I didn't really have a good front line and you had all grave guards. So I knew my warriors would struggle. And if my warriors were up against your grave guard getting slammed by knights, it, I didn't think it would matter a whole lot if I got my corollers on the walls. So that's what I was thinking, was <laughs> I had to get up there and take the walls as quickly as possible so then I could move my corollers up there and start shooting at you. Because I was also fully planning on having my, my warriors drop down off the walls. But I, was, I guess that's me assuming that you would know what I was planning. Yeah, I mean, the way you were fighting reminds me of the old, uh, the old cinematic trailer for a Dawn of War one. I got to show you that at some point. Okay. Basically, the Space Marines, they they're beating the orcs tremendously in like ranged firefight. You know, they're just shooting them down, and the orcs are running down the hill to get them. So they're just they're just shooting the orcs to pieces. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they, they then the orcs jump over like the little trench they're in. And uh, it's it's like a mess, but they managed to push the orcs back. Sure. And then the space marines are feeling like, yeah, yeah, we fucking kicked their ass. So they decide to run up the hill <laughs> where there's a million more orcs waiting. And that ends in disaster. It's like you just, you just decimated the enemy army with your superior ranged power, but you decide to charge in. And that, that was essentially what you did with the dwarves. You're, you just, I have no ranged units. You could literally sit outside my base for like 20 minutes 
and just expend ammo into my poor little Jack Skellingtons. <laughs> but you know what? I commend you. I commend you for having the balls behind those bears to rush the wall. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm not a terribly patient person, so I'm, I'm not wholly surprised it went down that way. <laughs> Yeah, but I, mean, I learned something. Like I learned how. To, I learned. I got some experience fighting with dwarves. I leveled up. That's uh. <laughs> you leveled up, and all it cost you was a faction leader and most of your army. Oh yeah, no things are going so badly. I I don't think I've forgotten about the coalition that would make the allies of World War Two give pause. Like you, yeah. before we ended, I saw you got you got your allied with the Red Duke. Von Karsteins, almost every greenskin faction that's within your range, which is a whole bunch of them now. Actually, um, it is every greenskin faction in my range. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Like, I know how this campaign's going, and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I'm going to beat you, and it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be because I sicked a bunch of orcs through you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. God. They're, they're, they're marshalling and mustering and it's going to be because Grimgor hasn't logged yet, and I fully expect it to land on my capital. And when he shows up with two twenty stacks of it's going to be attached, I mean, that might be the operative word for some people, but <laughs> I mean, it really I depends on which side of the stack you're on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I feel the same way. <laughs> uh, you know, you know how when you're playing Warhammer and like one of those annoying little pissant AIs just like sends an enemy against you through like united against us yeah i am that ai <laughs> <laughs> it just yeah i i basically united a bunch of orcs against you yeah and, and that's the thing is this dude he joe winds up paying all, i don't even know if you paid he probably didn't even pay him but he he wound up having them all declare war on me at not very opportune times i might add we had yeah. A pretty after his failed siege, after his failed siege, <laughs> like two turns after, right. I, I'm like, hey, wait, Grimgor, he's near him. He doesn't like him. Do you, Grimgor, do you want to fight him? Oh, you do. <laughs> you don't even want money for it. Oh, this is great. He doesn't well, like me, but he really doesn't like you. Grimgor has like 20 settlements by now, and the balance of power was so out of whack, his Grombadol just died. And I had, I went from 220 stacks to a half because then I fought that battle at Brahms Peak which I had to fight twice. And that second time, it really came down to the wire because you had, you had that lord and that hero. And it was just basically my dwarf warriors and two full health quarrelers carrying the day. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nail biter. <laughs> yeah, it was a rough one. So let me ask you this. What about Warhammer makes... Why have you put in 3,000 hours? Oh, well... And that that's like a that's a deeper psychological thing with me because it, it basically has a lot to do with the vampires. I am such a fan of just undead in general, but also the Warhammer world is just really enthralling. Like obviously, of, of the near three thousand oh, hours okay. I've played, two thousand eight hundred have been vampires. But <laughs> it, like, I, I still appreciate the other races for what they are. And honestly, it's my favorite fantasy franchise. And I don't exactly know why. But I feel like it has a lot to do with, like, you're familiar with Warcraft, right? World of Warcraft? Sure. Yeah. What I don't like is that it either doesn't take itself seriously at all or it takes itself too seriously. Yeah. Like, in Warcraft, lore is just, I'm, I'm still interested in it. I still follow it. And I, you know, I have WoW installed and I play whenever there's a new patch or something. Um, but story-wise, they just suck. They used to be good at it. But they used to be good at mainly because they fucking ripped off Games Workshop. But you know, True. What, 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 what's what was like? What's so vexing to me about Warcraft's lore is that either they are like kind of like you know how when someone is like they just have like no confidence, they're like really insecure, and they're trying to mask that by being like not taking themselves seriously at all. You know? Yeah. Like everything is a joke because they're just they're just nervous. It feels like that. Like in Wrath of the Lich King when they had those quests with the farting abominations and later on everything is like just kind of like a shitty joke and like semi-funny, you know? Yeah. 
like it's supposed to be like huh, we're so lax we don't actually care we're actually we're just about making entertainment for people we don't take ourselves that seriously no no if you don't take yourself seriously why should i right and then they try to take themselves too seriously by making this really deep and dark story about how Sylvanas burns down the tree and everything right and it becomes like they're trying to make this uh, whole inter-character really deep story and that is not what world of warcraft is good at it's good at selling a world it's not good at selling character during stories the gameplay doesn't allow for it and video games in general are really it's really difficult for them to do that like you have a few gems like last of us that does it tremendously but most games don't do that that well you know so it's kind of, it's kind of like control all delete doing like the random miscarriage thing we're like yeah they either take themselves too seriously or they don't take themselves seriously at all. Yeah. While Warhammer, on the other side, has like a perfect, it just, it, it's a, such a fine line, but they, they balance on it perfectly and they've done it for 40 fucking years. It's where they take themselves very seriously in that uh, in the universe, this is all important. This is not, they don't make jokes about it. And the humor they do have, like the goblins, the suicide goblins, it makes sense within the universe, you know. They they, they are they they're funny, but they're also funny in kind of a vicious, weird, scary way. So they're they're comic relief, but they're comic relief that doesn't go against the theme of the race, right? Right. Well, yeah, because because the goblins, like I, I don't know if you have you read a bunch of the no, any of the novels. Yeah, I read a bunch, but uh, not so much in fantasy, more forty k. I read the vampire trilogy uh, and some Age of Sigmar books. I, I read uh, I read Skarsnik and I read a couple of the Skaven books and I you know Warhammer is already a super grim dark world so <laughs> reading the grim darkiest I mean they're probably the only more angsty ones are the dark elves or maybe chaos I guess but the, 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 both the goblins and the Skaven exist in a very violent society like they they step on all, all over each other and they don't their lives are totally expendable which is yeah it's an expendable mechanic and the doom diver catapults are kind of silly like even if you see the animations it's, it's funny watching their little legs yeah. flail as they crash in the side of that but that's that's their culture their whole culture is their lives are expendable everything is meaningless they live for you know no amount of time i also think that the goblins like you know how children can't think con like consequences I think there's some of that at play too, because I, I I think I've read this. I mean, I could be fact-checked very easily on this, but I think I read that the goblins who volunteer for those things don't really consider the fact that they're going to die. So their natural cowardice doesn't come into play. They're just thinking, I'm going to fly and I'm gonna smash those pe people to fucking soup. But they're not actually considering that they are also going to be smashed to soup. I actually never considered that the people strapped to the Doomdiver catapult, like ammunition, that that was a volunteer effort. No, no, they're excited about it. They're fucking like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna fly, I'm gonna smash, I'm gonna kill. You know, they're they're eager. Oh shit! But I I think they're eager because they don't really think it through. They they you know, <laughs> it's kind of like when you've had uh, one too many and you're just like, oh, I can jump from this bridge easy, man. Yeah, but what happens when you hit the ground? Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I was also gonna say the thing about Games Workshop is that they take themselves seriously even when they're funny, right? but they're never pretentious about it. They know what they are. They know they're not Shakespeare. Yeah. So they, you can see that they, they just, sometimes in Warhammer, they just blatantly steal shit. Like, it's not all that unique. I mean, they're, they're, they're a little more pretentious with Age of Sigmar, I feel, because they're, they're trying to be really unique about it. But I think a lot of that also has to do with copyrights and stuff like that. You know? Because in the old days and stuff, like, they would just say... You know what? I just saw a really cool movie about pirates or something. Let's do something with that, right? And they make a fucking faction about it. And then if it gets enough support, it ends up on the tabletop. Like mummies, undead mummies. What if what if their statues come alive? Oh, that'd be cool. You know? <laughs> and yeah. the Anubis is now Ushapti. Yeah, I really like Vikings. Yeah, me too. What do we do with Vikings? Yeah. Uh, you know what? They worship chaos. Oh, that'd be cool. I feel like. Half of all the like creative meetings in Games Workshop ends with like, oh yeah, that would be cool, you know. And I, I like some that. Of it is just like people. I mean, a lot of this was invented in the you know decades ago by people who 
we're probably way more interested in making an interesting game to play and less interested in like where they sourced material. So you had like some Lord of the Rings fan fans, and this is, you know, 20 years before the movies came out and Lord of the Rings became popular again. So these are people that remembered when Lord of the Rings sprouted up as like a hippie thing, like, you know, people sharing. Yeah, when it was a little, like little more like Dungeons and Dragons, kind of a nerd exclusive thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think that they were, because for instance, my my sister was over and she was watching me do a battle against my friend and she saw some salamanders, the you know, the fire-breathing ones, and she I was playing lizards and she goes, but those aren't salamanders. And she goes on like what type of lizard it was. And I was like, I don't think that they really cared when they were putting this together because <laughs> it's such a hodgepodge. Of, it's like Grom's Cauldron. You just like throw shit in and see what happens. Yeah. And, um. I don't think that they were really like pulling out, you know, pulling biology books off the shelves or you were looking through the encyclopedias to figure out what salamanders really looked like. No, the and most important part of Games Workshop is projects that it's it's just the rule of cool. That's that's the number one rule. That that's a yeah, that's it. Yeah. And like what I love is that they're still maintaining that with all the new stuff in Age of Sigmar. It's just clear that now they're also trying to be more original. But I'm still I'm still not sensing any pretension in it whatsoever, and I, I fucking love that. It makes it easy for me to just immerse myself without getting that like edge of being annoyed. You know, <laughs> to to agree to agree with that, I have two examples. One is Cetra's name because it's so ridiculously long. It's like Cetra, the King of Kings, the High King of Nekrahara, the Lord of the Earth, Monarch of the Sky, Ruler of the Four Horizons, and it just goes on and on. <laughs> like it's a paragraph. Yeah. And that is inherently silly because it's almost like Daenerys in Game of Thrones where she accumulates these titles. But that is that is serious, taking itself seriously because you see throughout the story how she accumulates every title. And yeah. I haven't read any novels with Cetra in them, but there were just so many titles. Obviously, it's meant to be ridiculous. And the way it's almost become copypasta through the community I think yeah. proves that. <laughs> it's kind of so, like a joke, but it's not. It's 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 a joke that isn't. It isn't a fart joke. It doesn't take away from the seriousness of the Tomb Kings. It just makes you kind of chuckle. No, it reinforces it because it yeah. reinforces like the, the fact that, that Cetra has been around for a really long time and done a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, and I think the other example is uh, is how uh, CA or Games Workshop, I guess name some of the characters because they're just straight up puns a lot of the time yeah like tic-tac-toe i mean that's 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 literally a game it's it's clear that they're not they're not they're not trying they're they're not like searching ancient aztec names for that one no 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 no. there's no no temple scrubbing i mean but tic-tac-toe is still an important character you know he's not a joke character this character takes itself seriously Right, and and so I think that's that might be an example of how the joke is understood. Now I will say, yeah. it's it's a, I love it. <laughs> Tic Tac Toe. My friend told me before he was released that he was coming out, and that was his name. And that one actually made me give pause. I was like, really? That's his name? Like that's that's what this guy's called? Because there's what... a lot of stuff that gives me pause initially, but then I notice how they do it after, and they don't they don't like it's not tic-tac-toe and he likes to play this game with the stones and he's really cute and funny and you know kind of stuff they did with murlocs and you know warcraft yeah yeah it's like it's a little joke right there but after a while that joke isn't a joke anymore like you when you say tic-tac-toe now and you're talking about warhammer you don't really think (laughs) the name it's more like the first impression that's when you laugh right but that's because like you know like the little puzzles you can do when you search ruins yeah. Like imagine if they made a mechanic where he like looked up one of those stones and you literally play a game of tic tac toe. I think that would ruin it for me. But yeah, that would have been a bit stupid. That would be too on the nose. I would have been upset about that. But yeah. especially if they don't I mean, his name is on the nose as it is, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think they they managed to tread a fine balance there. Yeah. No, this this is probably my favorite game of the last like ten years. Oh yeah, I, I don't think it's the best game I've played. I think I've played better games, but this is definitely the game I put the most hours into, and that I like the most. Because yeah, not only is the game crisp, credit to CA, 
but the universe too is just it's just so immersive and wonderful and just you want to know more yeah just want to know more once you find like a race you really like and there's a lot of them you know once you find a race you really like you just want to know more about that race you start reading you start looking at youtubers and you, you just get into it you know well, that, that's how I that's how I bought the first books that I bought was that I had been playing I did a Belagar campaign um, followed by a Queek campaign and I got interested in Eight Peaks and there was a collection of books called the Warlords of Eight Peaks and it was just all of you know those characters and I wound up buying it because like oh hey I know those guys and now I read the books on purpose like well more on purpose I guess yeah and they're, they're good books too like black library has a lot of good authors they're not great books uh but the universe makes up for that it's like they're good books padded with a really exciting familiar universe and you just get into it you know i think for fantasy like average like if i think they're above average i don't think that i've read any of them and compared them to my favorite fantasy authors but i also haven't read any of the books and been like man i wish i didn't do it myself yeah because <laughs> i've read several fantasy books where i'll start reading it i'll get part way through and just think to myself i wish i hadn't done that to myself there, there was a there was a book series called uh eli mon press um or no that, that was the main character and i think the first three books this author wrote was like the eli mon press trilogy or something but anyway it was it was a totally ridiculous series it was terrible the, the first chapter of the first book or the first couple of chapters was the best part of the whole series. And the first book, a third of it was the final battle. And what was ridiculous about it, it was like a Dragon Ball Z almost style battle where everything was over the top. Wait, how long were this? How long were these books? How many pages? Uh, the, well, the full collection. Uh, I might no, just one book. The first book was about 280 pages, if I remember right. It was like okay, the, la the last book. How long was that? It was all three of them together. Of the collection that I bought was like a thousand pages. So, the first one was the shortest, as usual, and then like the the last one was probably the longest, probably like four to five hundred. I'm just thinking a third a third of the last book was just a f a fight. It was it was like an, it was like a 60 to 80 page fight, and oh, that's horrible. It was, and, and the thing is, is there was exposition in there that should definitely belonged earlier in the book, and then they're, they're one-upping each other with spells that they had never introduced prior to the final fight, so it was kind of like a Yu-Gi-Oh type situation where it's like, here's this thing that we never told the audience about, and now I win. I fucking and promise you that this guy watches a lot of anime. It was, it was a girl, but I mean, probably. It was yeah, well, guy, girl. I mean, it's twenty twenty. It it the, the writer was female. I, I don't remember her name because I tried to block that series out. But that <laughs> that's an example of fantasy I cannot stand. It's it's just like yeah. really high fantasy, extra mad, extra on the magic. The, the the plot is almost irrelevant to the spectacle, sort of stuff. I don't know if the books ever got better because I stopped reading after the first three. I, I didn't couldn't go on, but. Yeah, it sounds like she should be writing short stories. Because if like the first first few chapters of the first book were really great, then you know, obviously she's got a talent. But maybe honestly, not I think it wouldn't be that bad because there were some clever things in the beginning of the book. Where I was like, oh, that's neat. I remember very specifically thinking, like, I think Eli Monpress, he's like a thief slash mage. If that tells you where the Mary Sue is going with him, yeah. But yeah, like he, a spell thief. <laughs> he he like. The way he gets out of prison at the beginning is kind of cool or something. I, I don't remember enough to, to really comment on it, but I think she would be, I would like to see a short story by her. I'd read that. But anyway, yeah, I mean, she, she should be writing short stories because like, there's nothing wrong with writing short stories. Like uh, Lovecraft is one of the most uh, like celebrated authors of all time. And he wrote exclusively short stories. Yeah. Well, and, and every medium has a shorter version, right? Like even with theater, um, David Ives is a celebrated playwright, and his short plays, his one-act shows, are brilliant. He's he's a comedic genius, but his longer plays break down in numerous ways. Like the characters can't 
you know, they don't evolve the way they should. They're kind of stagnant the way a one-act character would be. The, the, the plots kind of break down over time and it, it's not, it doesn't feel cohesive. But his, his, his one-act work is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it's a different skill set to write long and write short, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, people who write novels aren't necessarily good at writing short stories either. And, and to be fair, I'm, I'm not really much of a high fantasy guy in terms of fantasy. Like, I usually like lower, un, more understated magic systems where the characters have to use, like, not magic to solve problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't like... Yeah. Yeah, it feels kind of like a Deus Ex kind of situation. Then you know, yeah, it, it, it's like a it's like a cheap escape. Yeah, and I think I think Warhammer maybe because I started with the games, it, it doesn't the, the high fantasy aspect doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, but I mean, the, the I think it's it's an important part of it. It's it's kind of high fantasy in the sense that it's about big battles because obviously it's the whole lore is just there to facilitate the 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 battles on the board, right? Yeah, but it's very character centric too, and a lot of the characters aren't magical, but they still have to have have, have stuff to do there. So if magic always wins, then Karl Franz is never going to be that interesting, you know. Then then it would be like an empire book would just be insert wizard story, you know. So right. when you read a lot of the the stories, like magic is powerful, but it can be blocked by shields. It can be avoided. Uh, it seems to take a lot of energy from the caster. So even even magic users to pull up a sword every now and then, you know, just to fight with it. Even the most powerful mages that are like in the lore, like in the in the in the in the what the hell are they called? The codexes, the codices, the battle tomes, you know. Uh, then they're described like they can just level a city if they wish, but then you read a story about them because that's not interesting. And then suddenly they don't use those magics for whatever reason, or the magic apparently is exaggerated by, you know, his PR team or whatever, you know? Well, and, and even though, even though like maybe, yeah, maybe they did games workshop started this universe by just drawing from all these different sources. Um, the, the dynamics that they explore now that they have all these different races is interesting. So like, yeah. My point is, it's populated more by the magic than, than just the magic. So when you have uh, one of one of the um, Eight Peaks books, it yeah. was it was I can't remember if it was Scarfsnick or Headtaker, but they had a dwarf prisoner that was in their jails, and it, it must have been one of the Skaven books. They had this dwarf prisoner, but because the lifespans, let's just say Skaven, of the Skaven were so short. It, it was brutal, but even if they lived to old age, old age was nothing compared to the old age of a dwarf. And they had had this dwarf, this dwarf prisoner in their jail for like generations upon generations of their, <laughs> of their race. And he was old. They had tortured this guy horribly. And they had just, they had just shit on this dwarf repeatedly. I think that's Skaven. Skaven, they're like 21 years. A Skaven that's 20 years old is like ancient. Yeah, exactly. Like 90 year old man. I, honestly, I feel like it was Skarsnik, honestly, because whoever it was, I think, I think it was Skarsnik because Skarsnik is the one who befriended this dwarf and wound up using, you know, he's part of the plot, obviously. But, um, yeah, but goblins and orcs are actually quite long lived. They, they don't die from old age, they only die from violence. Hmm. This is the problem of me bringing this up because I read this probably like. No, but, I mean you could still be right because <laughs> if it's about Carrick Eight Peaks, right? Those yes. three guys, the, the three factions, they're like they're so interweaved in that conflict. So yeah. it could easily be a book where the Skaven has a dwarf captured and Skarsnik comes into play to release the dwarf. It, it's essentially their Jerusalem, right? Like it's just their this this really contested yeah. or reason. I never thought about it as Jerusalem, but you're fucking right. You have three religions fighting over a city. You have three races of lunatics fighting over a city. Right. And it's, it's not necessarily strategic in any reasonable way. It might be strategic momentarily for a conflict that's unfolding right then. But it, it, beyond that, you could populate anywhere. It's, it, but it's, it's got a religious or like a, a fanatical component that goes beyond yeah. just grudges, you know? But anyway, so they had this prisoner that had been there through generations and generations of the occupants. 
and everybody else thought that he was just like some people thought he was immortal but he was just a dwarf living his dwarf lifespan and he had become a staple of this prison and they enjoyed torturing him but nobody wanted to kill him because he had been there for so long and you just don't kill the guy in that cell and and it's it's basically become like like a town statue, like my great great grandfather tortured this statue. <laughs> this is an important pillar of our community to torture this dwarf. <laughs> You're coming of age now, young goblin. Pee on this dwarf. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's it's stuff like that that livens up the universe, that makes it more about just the high fantasy aspect, which yeah. is what I appreciate. It mixes sword and sorcery with high fantasy really well, Warhammer. Yeah. You have a lot of like small stories. Like if if you read Castle Drakenfels, I would recommend that. That's, okay. that's a fucking great story. Yeah. It's about this uh, vampire. Uh, she's a Bretonian woman called Genevieve. Uh, and uh, she's basically like, she's not a mean vampire, essentially. You know, like so, some, some von Karstein offshoot turned her like hundreds of years ago but uh, she didn't really have the ambitions that they had and the offshoot guy he, he was killed of course so she's basically just kind of kept it on the down low that she's a vampire and just lived as a fucking nun a mother a nurse a pirate a criminal a highwayman a actor she's done everything right just yeah. lived many lives because she has the time uh and she's team she teams up with this troop of actors in this old castle where they're going to relive uh, a great victory from a guy from, uh, uh, Wolf, you know, who Wolfram Hertwig uh, leads. The guys, the guys that I attacked, that's directly north of uh, Sylvania. Ostermark. Yeah. Ostermark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's basically the guy who's currently like the prince of Ostermark. Um, he's going to like have like a whole celebration there where they have a play that's all about uh, how uh, he cleansed Drakenfels, like the keep of the, the nasty old wizard who used to live there. I don't want to spoil the whole plot of it because it's actually really interesting and there's a bit of a plot twist there. Okay, uh, I will read But it. I really recommend it. It's really nice. Like there's all sorts, there's a dwarf, there's people, there's like, there's, it's kind of like a, like a ragtag group that all comes together, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really fascinating. It's a really good book. I really love it. Okay, all right, I'll check it out. Yeah, you want to know a fun fact about Quick? Yes, he's like seven years old. I know he's so little. I know he's like a little tyke, and he's such a vicious little brat because he's <laughs> he's not he's, he's a big guy. Like he's a really big Skaven. He's an unusually big Skaven. Like oh, Skaven are generally as tall as humans, right? Uh, although they. They walk a little crooked. He's way taller than a human. That's like, true. He, and he, and he, Headtaker yeah. starts with him mutilating dwarves. And I, re- I, I, do, I do remember them describing him as being taller than a dwarf. But as far as I'm concerned, I don't have any like, point of comparison there. I mean, all Skaven are taller than dwarves. Like, they, they frequently refer to the dwarves as, as short. Yeah. Yeah. But he was like, he was, the way they described it, he was like supposed to be extra big. Yeah, yeah he's, he's he's very big. He, he he'll look down on a on a grown ass man, you know. Man, but he's so young. Yeah, but they grow super fast. It, it's yeah, kind of how we're talking about the pigeons. Like there are mental processes that you know a four month old pigeon can do that a human can't do until they're like five. That's true. Well, three, three or four. I don't, I don't remember. I mean, we we need a lot more time. Is basically the gist of it. Right. Well, we don't have to be experts because we're not the ones studying. studying no, them. no. <laughs> we're not even experts on the fantasy universe we're discussing, let alone pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing we're experts on is knowing that gin and tonics are healthy. As they are extremely healthy. Yes. Yeah. No, it sure. tastes like heaven and it looks like water. What more do you want? <laughs> Hint, don't excessively drink gin and tonics. <laughs> Replace water with gin. For for the three for the three listeners we'll have don't <laughs> we're not being serious. <laughs> you think we'll have you think we'll have three listeners already? Well, I mean, there's oh, two great. of us, so we only need one other person. Yeah, but we're not going to listen to our own podcast. That's a little <laughs> little strange. <laughs> anyway, 
Play you one. Know, I think two. Charlie will listen to it. Charlie will fucking listen to it. We'll make Charlie listen to it. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll send it to that other guy in Greece who like. Yeah, Marius. Oh, that's a oh, he's patron. He is such a wonderful person. If he ever comes back to Norway, I want him. I want. Uh, I, I mean, if I can keep him stable in a seat, I want him to be on podcast. We can give him like a GoPro with a mic and just kind of send like. Because if he's if he's gonna wind up taking an <laughs> you mean like like how you stick a camera on a shark or a seagull? <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll tag him with a little GPS signal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd love that actually. Just find out where in the world he's gonna fucking end up. <laughs> anyway, play Warhammer two. I think it's a good place to wrap this up. But uh... yeah, fantastic. Play it. Don't play it with Jeremy though. And if you do, be very paranoid. <laughs> Please. That, that's my MO is to make other people care. Even if I lose, I want you to have a terrible time of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was literally fucking terrified. And I'm the undead. I'm cause fair. And I'm st- standing there going, oh, God, there's dwarfs on my door. You, you're supposed to be immune to fear. <laughs> yeah. I'm supposed to be. But I mean, I, I, yeah, I fear no man, but that thing scares me. Well, the white dwarf isn't, the white dwarf is supposed to be immortal. Right, like he's he's from the he's that dwarf from the War of the Beard from like yeah the, Snorri something yeah yeah he's the he's like the original king so he he's probably the only undead dwarf you know what he is undead isn't he because he died and then he was brought back to life like yeah resurrection and raising the dead is not the same thing but yeah. the point is he's dead and he came back so in my eyes he's no better than a damn ghoul. No, he's worse than a ghoul, because ghouls aren't undead. Ghouls are actually living people. <laughs> Today I learned. <laughs> yeah, but, ghouls but, are living people. They're just very fucked up. <laughs> how do you raise... Okay, so then how do you raise a ghoul from the dead? Uh, I think I think that's just a game mechanic, because necromancers are very much alive. Well, very much is... They bleed. <laughs> Necromancers are alive, but if they die in battle, they can still be raised back in the aftermath of the battle because it's a game mechanic. But on the tabletop, ghouls and necromancers had a special rule called alive! Exclamation <laughs> mark. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know what it did, but they had it. Well, so the, thing, the thing that I'm, I'm concerned about is that uh, if ghouls are alive, when you win a when when you finish a battle and you go to a dead pile, if the dead pile is big enough, you can raise a ghoul. So you, you know can... what? My guess is that there's a dead pile there, and you're just like finding a group of ghouls eating on it. Okay. And then you're like, "Hey guys, do you want to join? There'll be more flesh down the road." I you know? accept that. Yeah. Yeah, that's my head cannon. Or maybe maybe there's like some farmers trying to shovel the bodies out of the way so they can replant the fields, and you just like take some of them and turn them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You just make them uh, make them watch some uh, vampire count propaganda so that they just drool. <laughs> All right. My farm when you can eat your neighbors. <laughs> Alright, well thank you for listening to all you who made it to the end and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Excellent. Have a good one. Yeah.